Welcome to the latest episode of the Shaken and Stirred podcast. I'm Simon Hildry and with me is Phil Milburn. Hello, Phil. Hi, Simon. Shall we start? We've got equity markets reaching very high levels. What What's happening in credit? Can you bring us up to date with the credit markets? Thank you, Simon. Credit has certainly also seen a very strong start to the year from its oversold position at the end of 2018. We're not seeing the excess of 2005 to 7, the big LBO boom, leverage buyout boom, but certainly credit has been on a very strong footing all of this year. Um, and this is really encapsulated by high yield returns already up 8% year to date, to give you the context, which is more than your typical average return for the whole year. But in terms of measuring that exuberance, one of the technical and sentiment type barometers I like to look at is the state of the new issue markets in bonds. Obviously, in bonds, you need a constant flow of new issues to replace the maturing stock. And um, we are seeing a lot of gross issuance this year, but the net issuance is only akin prior years. And what, what's the kind of, I suppose, your new issue barometer telling you? This metaphorical barometer, it's not literal, is very much telling me that the market, the, particularly the buy side of the market, investors are under a huge pressure to buy the market, to buy credit, to get fully invested. A lot of this, I think, is being driven by the weight of money with estimates of inflows into credit funds around the world estimated to be about $100 billion year to date. That, combined with the central banking dovishness, the central banking, inverted commas, put, has enabled people to invest in a market that is now relatively tight in terms of credit spreads compared to where it was four months ago when everybody seemed to be running to the hills. And this is really where the barometer, or one of my many, comes in. And I see there as being three phases um, to the new issue market. And this sort of comes around once every few months or quarters of any normal cycle. And then, obviously, in the pre- and post-credit crunch, it was a much longer, extreme, elongated cycle. So the very start is when the new issues come with a large premium, a much higher yield, a much wider spread than the current bonds in the secondary market. At the start of 2019, bonds were coming, credit spreads were coming with about a 50 basis point, what's referred to as concession discount to the secondary market. This is really putting a premium on the value of the company executing, meaning being able to issue the debt for whichever purpose they're using it for. What happens in this circumstance is the secondary market widens a little and a clearing price is found for the risk. This tends to happen after a risk-off event, a bear market type event. This goes on normally for a couple of months and then everybody wants to join in the game and then primary tends to compress in the second phase to come with a premium of about 20 to 30 basis points of yield um, more than existing secondary levels. In the second phase, this, um, the secondary market is unmoved, the primary market tends to rally, and the secondary phase doesn't last very long because, in theory, there's some free money on offer. You just buy all the new issuance and make a little bit of performance for your clients, but everybody gets sucked into it pretty quickly. And that gets us into the third and the longest phase, 
where you get no real issue premium on any deals, on any primary deals. And the current market is very much what I parochially call a tease and squeeze market, with the initial pricing looking very generous. It teases a lot of people into what either new deal. The pricing is then squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And at times in the last few weeks, it's actually been pricing through secondary market levels. What does this tell me? It tells me that some people are desperate to buy to get more credit risk on board. Stage three was last the longest. But eventually, the credit market, the buy side, the investors managed to get themselves a long risk, uh, gradually by creeping their longer and longer exposure. Then something always comes along to turn the market, to turn sentiment. In that environment, the more recent deals are the most liquid deals because there's still plenty of bonds around. They haven't just been locked away. Those are the ones that sell off and their risk is amplified. And this, basically, if it's a small sell off, it, it implies that we go back to stage two with a bit of a discount. But if it's a large sell off based on some new, for example, macroeconomic news, it starts this whole new issue cycle again. And have you identified many of the new issues as investable for you? In the last month or two, there are very few that have appealed. Earlier in 2019, we picked up some good deals. I mentioned in a previous podcast, we liked the Altria deal, where they were issuing in euros um, for one of their first times in more recent history, and therefore came with a premium. Other examples include Marsh and McLennan, the insurer stroke consultant, and then AMP earlier in this year, the Australian asset manager, issued in dollars for the first time in a long time and managed to see a good premium there. In reality, what's happening on a day-in, day-out basis is we're pulling a lot of orders. We'll take advantage when the pricing looks cheap, but as soon as all the value is taken off the table, we'll remove the order. And so we're participating very, very rarely. Effectively, this could be described as keeping price discipline to prevent any kind of buyer's regrets. The one area where we may see deals that we like is when large companies are funding their M&A, mergers and acquisition activity. And this is because they put a, a premium or a valuation discount on execution again. If you're paying 20, 30 billion for another company, paying an extra 20, 30 basis points spread on your debt might mean a lot of money, but companies tend to be prepared to pay up in order to keep the chief executive happy that the deal gets done. From our perspective, though, you don't tend to make a massive amount of money in the primary market. This only happens um, for a few times and then deals get massively oversubscribed. You make the vast majority of your alpha in the secondary markets anyway. Can we just go back? You, you talked about the exuberance of the market and the weight of money. Are you surprised by the exuberance? And what are the main things that are driving that, continue to drive that? Um, I am surprised, at, given the sentiment that we saw in the market in December and January and the worries about macro growth, that people are prepared to rely once again on the central bank and free money. Um, as we have previously actually discussed, I still think this is a macroeconomic soft patch based on manufacturing and ultimately the consumer and the strength in the services sector. And we're starting to see this with a pickup in Chinese numbers, Chinese growth numbers. Those will combine in order to actually get growth going again, 
just at a lower growth rate than last year. And this is one of the reasons why I think the exuberance has gone too far, because later this year, I still believe the Fed will do a second U-term and the price of money, cheap money, will go up um, so that ultimately what stops this rally, the main most likely reason is monetary policy tightening. So are you, does this mean you're less constructive on credit in your portfolios? At the margin, yes. What we've been doing over the last few months, and this is a very simple valuation call, is as the market has rallied, we've been reducing the credit beta in our strategic bond funds. We're still happy to commit capital to credit as the long-term value is okay, but all we've been doing is reducing the risk within that. Explicitly, we've been taking profits on some of our best high-yield stock picks, um, taking peak weighting of about 30% down to just about 10% today. Uh, to put it in context, the total fund range is a 0 to 40 allowed range. We still have no emerging market exposure, a position we're very happy with, and we'd be more tempted to go short than long, obviously relative to high yield. We see no EM as a very good thing as recent developments in weakness in the Argentine peso and Turkish lira are starting to pressure the EM complex again. But most importantly at the moment, within investment grade, what we're doing underneath the surface um, is very much reducing risk. The current weighting to investment grade is in the mid-40s percentage area, but the beta is massively decreased. We've been switching financials into normal corporates, the latter tend to be much lower risk, much lower volatility. We've been reducing subordinated debts, be it corporate hybrids or further down the banking capital structure. And we've been reducing the inverted commas spread duration in the funds, the amount of real credit risk in the fund. By doing this, we've been selling some longer dated credit, buying shorter dated, more defensive credit and buying a few more floating rate notes. Uh, on top of this, we've also added a low beat CDS index hedge to our strategic bond funds. This is between 5 and 10%. And this really builds in a bit of a macro event tail reduction strategy. So overall, we think yield carry, buying a bit of credit is still okay. But when there's so little premium for buying the risky stuff, compared to the lower risk, more defensive credit, you might as well be invested in the defensive credit. Or to put it another way, um, when you're not being paid to take risk, don't. Okay, thank you very much, Phil. And thank you to everybody for listening. We look forward to welcoming you next time. And as ever, if you've got any feedback or questions, please let us know. Till next time.